One reminder before I forget, I know that Justin and Carrie will be in the foyer after the worship service with some cards. If anybody wants to know how they can pray or support their ministry, they'd love to talk to you after the service. Scripture text this morning is Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 to 11. If you do not have a Bible, there should be an ESV Bible, Pew Bible in front of you, reasonably close to you somewhere. That's on page 61 in that Bible. Again, Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. This morning we turn to the fourth commandment, which may be one of the most controversial in 2023 in the United States of America. Not simply for our culture, but for our Christian culture. Why is it so Controversial. Well, many today believe that all of the commandments, particularly the fourth commandment, is only for the Jews uh, or the people of Israel, not for the New Testament church. You might remember the movie, Chariots of Fire, when Eric Little refused to run in the 1924 Olympics on Sunday. Many of, many of us here have heard of Blue Laws, and they still exist somewhere, I'm sure. It's within the fabric of the DNA of our own country because we have some semblance of a Christian heritage. A few questions I'm going to ask us this morning regarding this simple but extraordinarily important commandment as it's one of the four, the first four, honoring the Lord our God. What are we to think about the Sabbath day? What does it look like to keep the Sabbath day? How should we approach the Sabbath day? Firstly, what are we to think about the Sabbath day? Well, in thinking, the very first word is remember. What exactly are we supposed to be remembering? I would argue we remember two things when we remember the Sabbath day. We remember creation and redemption. Why would we remember creation? Verse 11 tells us. It points back to what God did in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. At the very beginning, the eternal God steps in and starts creating out of nothing. He creates in six days. But the text is very clear in Genesis. He stopped creating on the seventh day. 
That doesn't mean he ceased to do anything. Because unlike us, he upholds all of his creation by the work of his providence all the time. But he stopped making things. God did. On the seventh day, theologian about a hundred years ago by the name of John Murray makes two important points that the Sabbath was instituted at creation, not in the fourth commandment. Secondly, it rests upon the divine example. Therefore, what Moses is commanding to the people And God, through Moses, is a restatement of what God had already said to Adam in the garden. Six days you're supposed to do these types of activities, but on the seventh day there's something completely different. There's something separate. Why? Because God Himself did that. And by analogy, as His image bearers, why would we do something different? And what he's clearly exemplified for us and now commanded us to do. So therefore, when it says remember, verse 11 is very clear, we're not talking about remember anything after the garden necessarily, right at the garden, right at creation, right at the very beginning. This is a creation mandate. It's a pattern that God himself has set. Is not chosen to unset that pattern. But secondly, not only are we commanded to remember creation, but remember redemption. What's the context of all of these commandments? We've already said that back in the fall when we looked at the first two verses of chapter 20. The very beginning or preamble to the Ten Commandments reminds them of who they are, whose they are, why they're there. They've left Egypt. They've been redeemed from the hand of slavery. The whole context to all of these commandments is, in fact, redemption. But as these commandments are republished by Moses in the book of Deuteronomy, there's something interesting that happens to the fourth commandment, an emphasis. Deuteronomy 5.15 says this, "...you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt." The Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Well, number one, it's because they weren't given a day off in Egypt. They weren't given a Sabbath. That was taken from them. What God the Creator had given His creatures, Pharaoh took away. But again, it's not simply remembering creation. It's remembering redemption. That we rob ourselves as if we were Pharaoh when we take this away. So therefore, remembering creation as well as redemption. The rest in creation here is coupled with the reality of redemption. It's a day, worship and reflect on the redemption that God himself has accomplished. Confession of faith, chapter 21. From the beginning of the world to the resurrection of Christ was the last day of the week. And from the resurrection of Christ was changed into the first day of the week, which in Scripture is called the Lord's Day. It is to be continued to the end of the world as the Christian Sabbath. 
But you see, even the New Testament church picked up on this. That the purpose of this is to remember creation itself. That's a creation mandate, rest on the seventh day. But it's changed. It's not Saturday. What day of the week was the Lord Jesus raised? He was raised on Sunday. And therefore, the Christian Sabbath, or the Lord's Day, has shifted. That's why we're here today. And we weren't here yesterday. Because something has changed with the Lord Jesus. Not the abrogation of the fourth commandment completely, but the day. Because he was raised. I'll come back to that in a moment. But this is so crucial to everything I'm about to say. That this whole commandment is rooted not in cultural convenience or cleverness, but in the activity of God Himself. In creation, but then in redemption. Well, then what does it look like to keep the Sabbath with those things in mind? Several things. I'm going to start with rest. So to keep the day holy can also mean to sanctify it. To sanctify something simply means to set it apart. So we're asking the question, keeping the Sabbath, how do you sanctify it? How do you obey this commandment? How do you set it apart from any other day? Seems clear. Rest would be in that. Verses 9 through 10. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son, your daughter, your male servant, female servant, livestock, or sojourner within your gates. Even somebody traveling through as a sojourner should obey this. Why? Because they're an image bearer. This is not simply regarding people who have been redeemed. It's people who have been made by God. Because we all need this. We're to cease from work and rest, and to rest just as the Israelites were finally able to rest apart from the Egyptian taskmasters. Skipping ahead a little bit in the book, Exodus 35, 2. Six days, work shall be done. But on the seventh day, you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest. Holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. New Testament terms. Disciplined. Yikes. Can we get more countercultural in Hernando right now? Possibly not. This is so human. We dehumanize ourselves when we tell ourselves, I can do whatever I want seven days a week, even though God the Father says, No, you can't. I didn't make you that way. I didn't design you to go full throttle seven days a week. One of my mentors, uh, Professor Kelly Capick, he wrote a book. The title is You're Only Human. I'm researching it with regards to disability. But he says this, Sin is a problem. Being human is not. Because you were made with limits. You are finite. You cannot do whatever you want 10 to 15 to 25 days straight. 
and think you can stay sane, do a good job, honor the Lord. More is not better. More play, more recreation, more work, more profit. He says, stop. The Hebrew word for Sabbath means cease. What are we saying to our Father? When we say, I don't need to obey you. You don't know how much energy I have. You don't know how much need I have. You don't know what it takes to earn what I earn, or do what I do, or play what I play. And God simply says, I didn't design you for that. You will fall apart. You and your family. If you go full tilt on your own, seven days a week. So firstly, how do we, how do we set the day apart? We're going to rest. Just like Israelites are, are hearing this for the first time in generations, saying, you're telling us we get a day off? We get a day off? Hallelujah! Because of what the Lord our God has done for us. And redemption. We get to go back to the ways of the garden. We get to rest. Because I am more than my recreation. And I am more than my paycheck and my employment. I belong to my Redeemer. He set me free from these things at least one day a week. Where I don't have to talk to anybody about it or think about it. But then secondly... Obviously, there's this idea of worship. Back to John Murray. He says, It is indeed rest from the ordinary employments of the other six days, but it is also rest to or rest in. It is rest to and rest in the Lord. It is not simply napping all day and sleeping in and physically resting. There's something more to it. To set the day apart, to keep it holy, is to recognize the redemption that we've been given. This is shocking to me every time I read this, but Luke chapter 4, verse 16 records Jesus. He uh, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. Jesus Christ worshipped on the Sabbath. Jesus Christ never sinned. But as was his custom, Jesus Christ went and worshipped. I I can't imagine being the preacher that day and seeing him stand up and read. But if the second person of the Trinity becomes incarnate, and it's his custom to go to worship in the synagogue on Saturday, he takes that seriously. That's him keeping the fourth commandment. As already stated about the first day of the week, Acts chapter 20, verse 7, it says, And upon the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. And there's a incident where somebody falls out a window, and you you may know that story. But you notice uh, 
Several passages in the New Testament recognize that the first day of the week, they're meeting together and they're breaking the bread. They're praying together. Paul, who has mission trips to take, is postponing his leaving, is continuing his conversations with the saints until midnight. Because why? That's the purpose of the day. That's the purpose of the day. There's there's not another purpose of the day. Worship and rest is the purpose of the day. It should be a privilege to hear the Apostle Paul preaching and for him to delay his missions trip journeys and to gather together with the saints. It should be seen as nothing but a privilege. The focus of the day is worship centered around the redemption that we have received in Jesus Christ. The day shifted, as I just read, from Saturday to Sunday because of the resurrection. That's the purpose of the day. That's the focus of the day. I've been given a whole day where I can sing with the saints. I can worship. I can read Scripture. I can read Christian books. Listen to Christian music. Sing, sing psalms. Go to multiple worship services. Go to small group. Stay for Sunday school. That's the purpose of the day. To simply rest in the Lord. In the redemption that He's brought me. I don't have to deal, Lord willing, with the distractions, the disruptions, all the chaos of all of the to-do lists. Whatever it is. That's not the focus of the day. Praise the Lord. But thirdly, obviously what this means is rest and worship and refrain. The confession of faith continues. This Sabbath is then kept holy unto the Lord when men, after a due preparing of their hearts and ordering of their common affairs beforehand, do not only observe a holy rest all the day from their own works and words and thoughts about their worldly employments and recreations, but also are taken up the whole time in public and private exercises of his worship and in duties of necessity and mercy. I'll be reading that again this this afternoon in our leadership development because we're actually covering that chapter tonight in the standards. We already went through Exodus chapter 16. You remember the manna and the quail. And this again reminds us that this is not starting in chapter 20 of Exodus, but in creation. Because God gives explicit commands to the Israelites about what about the Sabbath? Get a double portion on the sixth day of the week, because on the seventh day of the week, there won't be any. Don't go out there looking for food. Don't go out there looking for stuff. Well, what do some of them do? They, they go out there on the Sabbath looking for manna. And he condemns them. Mark chapter 2, verses 23 through 28, records uh, the disciples plucking grain, and the Pharisees accused them of breaking the Sabbath. Jesus reminds them that David and his men in 1 Samuel 21 ate bread on the Sabbath when they were hungry, even from the temple. They weren't condemned for that. 
Mark chapter 3 then records Jesus healing on the Sabbath after he had just said the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath, and that the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. The the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath doesn't mean we can do whatever we want and disregard everything I've just said. It means everything I've been saying for us, even if it cuts against the cultural grain of the American church, is for our good, is for our benefit. But there is common sense. Jesus does not pull his disciples aside and say, stop plucking grain on the Sabbath. If you didn't fix your lunch yesterday, you don't get to eat today. And he doesn't say to the man with the withered hand, I'll be open for business on Monday, sorry. That's why the confession of faith says, there are works of necessity and mercy, which we all would understand would have to be done today. That's obviously allowed by Jesus in the Bible. You can think of so many examples. Now, we don't want to just back a Mack truck into this type of thing, but we have so many people in our congregation who work in healthcare. Please go to work today if you're supposed to go to work, if you're in healthcare. If you're, if you're called to the hospital, please go to work. If you work for the power company and you're called to work today, please, please go help us with our power. That's a work of necessity. We have pilots who need to go to work. Um, I'm looking at a fireman. Please go to work if you get called today. There are works of mercy and necessity, which simply have to be done. And brothers and sisters, praise the Lord if you're not one of those individuals who do that for a living. And we should pray for those individuals. It's a convenience in many ways. It's a privilege. It's an honor. It's a joy to be able to just show up whenever you want without having to do a work of mercy and necessity. You may have something wrong that you're trying to tend to. You may yourself have to go to the hospital. You may yourself have to be doing something that cannot be prolonged, that couldn't have been put off. This is where it takes wisdom. But we're reminded several times in the Old Testament, Isaiah 58, Amos chapter 8, where Israel has gone downward spiritually, and one of their main complaints to the Lord is, why can't we just go to work today? Why can't we just get on with it? And Isaiah and Amos say, you've lost the plot. You're robbing yourself. You're breaking the commandment. But you're robbing yourself. Well, what, again, how can we tease this out a little bit more? I'm just going to offer you an alternate reality to what many of us are used to. I had the privilege of playing college soccer at Covenant College. My coach, a professor at the college, negotiated our game schedules where for four years, we didn't touch the field on Sunday. And he made it to where if we had an away game where we were kicking off at one or three o'clock in the afternoon, we were home at a certain hour on Saturday, or he would not schedule the game. That was his choice. He negotiated that with other coaches. When I was a senior, they started a baseball team, a, a tennis team, and I, I was reflecting at General Assembly about three or four years ago, 
because we had switched from the NAIA into the NCAA Division III. But the tennis team made the national tournament, and they did what Eric Little did 100 years ago. They didn't play on Sunday. They forfeited matches. And there was a presbytery that overtured the General Assembly to thank them for their witness. Shocking. But it happens. I have a friend in Nashville Presbytery who's a teaching elder who's adopted two or three kids and has two or three of his own very athletic family. And he preached on this text a few years ago. And uh, I remember him saying that his son played for Christ Pres Academy, soccer. Now plays in college. He played a little bit on a club team in Nashville in high school. But he went ahead and told the coach, he's not going to be available. One day of the week, he's not going to be available. I don't know how that negotiation worked. I don't know what happened in that conversation. But he still played in college. There's a lot of wisdom and a lot of conversations that have to happen with regards to this. But this is one of the first four commandments about how we honor the Lord Himself before we even talk about how we love our neighbor as ourselves. And in the mix of works of mercy and necessity, rather than look at what other people do, let's examine our own hearts and ask our own self and families questions about this priority and what this means going forward for us. But finally, lastly, how should we approach the Sabbath? We talked about how to keep it holy, rest, worship, and refraining from certain things. But how should we approach it? Firstly, I would say with courage. Jesus was threatened with death by the Pharisees on misinterpreting the fourth commandment. Now their problem was he was too loose. Well, you're just, you're healing and eating on the Sabbath. You're doing things. They had all kinds of rules and regulations that were legalistic because they weren't in the Bible. Fourth commandment itself is not legalism. But they said, he's too loose. Let's kill him. Well, what would happen in our families, our workplaces, our recreational partners and teams, if we were to have this conversation made fun of, uh, abused possibly, emotionally or verbally, maybe even by other believers? This takes courage. There's also some confusing passages. Romans 14, verses 5 to 6. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor to the Lord. The one who eats, eats in the honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. So basically, some people will say, do whatever you want. It can't be what it means. It's talking about all kinds of different festivals and days in the Jewish calendar which have all changed the resurrection of Christ as well as the eating of food sacrificed to idols. It's not the context. What about Colossians 2? Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are shadows of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Again, 
with courage, we say, that cannot mean we don't obey one of the Ten Commandments today. It can't mean that. Of course it means that certain things sacrificed to idols back in the first century are okay to eat, or that there are certain festivals that have been completed in Christ that we no longer keep in the Jewish calendar. Not the fourth commandment, not the seventh day changing to the first day. That's not what we even see in the New Testament. But secondly, we have to approach the day with trust. You think back on the passage in Exodus about the manna, we have to trust that there's going to be enough. When God says there will be, don't go to work. Function more like Chick-fil-A than every other business in the fast food industry that I know of. Trust that there's going to be manna. I'm raining two portions on Friday. You don't have to go out on Saturday. Trust me. When I say this, trust me. What is your trust in? That's what the day's about. Building trust in the Lord. The larger catechism, 121, asks us, what does it say to remember? In brief, it says, because of the great benefit of remembering it, we being thereby helped in our preparation to keep it, and in keeping it, better to keep all the rest of the commandments. We're about to get into major culture war in commandments 5 through 10, I promise you. We, we just started this morning. And the larger catechism is very wise to say, before we get into major culture war, commandments 5 through 10, how are you going to be prepared for the other six days? How are you going to be rooted in the trust in the Lord to fight idols, to fight the cultural temptations? Keep the Sabbath day. Think about the redemption. Think about whose you are. Think about what he's done for you. You get to do that all day. Preparation the other six. This is not about better than or less than. This this is about preparation. This isn't about everything I do on this day is more important than what he's called me to do. No, he's saying you won't survive as a believer the other six days if you don't do this. If you don't rest and worship. Psalm 135, 18 says, those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them, speaking of idols. If we don't want to be like an idol, we don't need to trust in them. So we need to be recalibrated in corporate worship regularly to be re-engineered away from the world. To be like our Savior. Theologian Michael Horton says, whatever fills our Sundays fills our hearts throughout the week. But finally, friends, this has to be done with delight. Isaiah 58, if you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasures, or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord. Part of it is because we know Monday's coming. And for many of us, that's devastating. Because we have doctor's appointments, we have to-do lists, we have jobs that are not fun, we have things to tend to. But one of the things we are reminded on the Sabbath 
is that eternal rest is on the way. Hebrews 4 speaks of that rest beyond the Sabbath. That everything that we do in this place is a rehearsal for the rest of eternity. So therefore, as Murray says again, the Sabbath is not only a memorial of creation completed and redemption accomplished, it is also the promise of a glorious prospect, the foretaste of the Sabbath rest that remains for the people of God. We can go from this place worshipped up, wake up Monday morning rested up, to be better equipped, to serve Him in all of the things that we have to deal with, knowing that there is coming a day. We will see Him face to face. There will be no sin, suffering, or crying, or problems. Only worship. Service in the Lord. And rest. Let us pray together. Lord Jesus, as we think about the Sabbath, we think about conversations we've had in the past with parents or friends or family or co-workers about how ridiculous it may seem or how legalistic it may seem, would you please encourage us today? What a privilege it is to be told to rest and stop, to have the opportunity to worship. And Lord Jesus, as we did so often during the pandemic, I do thank you for the many members that we have who believe deeply in you, who simply, because of works of necessity and mercy, cannot weekly gather with us. What a a joy and privilege it is to be able to do so. And may we not take that for granted. May we prepare our hearts, even on Saturday nights, with what we do, with what we eat, with how late we stay up, so that the Sabbath day may be a delight so that the rest of the week, we can be in mission for you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.